Scarlet Moffat's answering the door. Bonnie! Actually, who is it? Is it still there? Who is it? Hiya! How much is the win the windows? 20. Thank you. I'll just go and get it. Hiya, the window cleaner, 20 pounds. <laughs> Bonnie, calm down, man. Right, <laughs> sorry. This week on Walking the Dog, I chatted to TV and show business queen Scarlett Moffat. Full disclosure, this episode should probably be renamed Two Women Lays Around with Their Dogs Whilst Gossiping on the Phone. But before you judge us, that's because Scarlett was in County Durham, I was in London and we both got reined in. But it turned out we didn't need a walk to bond because Scarlett is even more obsessed by dogs than me, especially her very own chihuahua, Bonnie. Scarlett was thrust into the spotlight at a fairly young age after appearing on Gogglebox and then I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. But I got the sense she's actually quite a naturally introverted, reflective person. She told me about being happy with her own company and escaping into books as a child. We also talked about her hilarious family, how her life changed so suddenly and why she's happiest hanging out with her policeman boyfriend Scott, who she hosts a podcast with called Scarlett Moffat Wants to Believe, as well as her upcoming stint on ITV's Celebrity Karaoke Club, where she'll be unleashing the Moffat vocals. We had such a lovely chat, mainly because Scarlett will chat away honestly about anything. So I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. If you do, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. I'll hand you over to the woman herself now. Here's Scarlett and Bonnie. Oh, Bonnie, come on. I'm actually late in bed. <laughs> Scarlett Moffat, today's guest, is um, sleeping in bed with the dog. Yeah, we're just chilling, chilling with the dog. What's Bonnie doing? Is she jumping up next to you? Yeah, so she's eating a treat because Bonnie, it's raining here and Bonnie just refuses to go out when it's raining. She's like a princess. My dog Ray is exactly the same. Because you have a Shih Tzu, don't you? I have a Shih Tzu and he just, if it's raining at all, I say if it's raining, if it's not sort of the equivalent of a, a lovely day in Ibiza. Yeah. He will just stand by the door giving me an evil and won't move. That is the same as Bunny. I actually have a Shih Tzu as well. Oh, well, Scarlett, I want to know all about your dogs. I need to properly introduce you. I'm, yeah. I'm really excited because I've been wanting to get this woman on for so long and finally I have. I'm with the very wonderful Scarlett Moffat. Oh, thank you. That was a nice introduction. Well, welcome to the podcast. And we Thanks. should say we're doing this remotely because we're both yeah. responsible citizens and we don't want to be dashing here, there, all over the country when we should be keeping travel to a minimum. So yeah. you're in, um, you've just said, but tell us again, <laughs> you are based in at the moment. County Durham. And talk me through Bonnie, who you're with today. So she is a little uh, smooth coat chihuahua. And she's like a princess. But she's five now. I actually forgot how old she was. Like in my head, she's still a puppy. And I keep telling everyone she's a puppy, but she's not really. She's old. And is she your only dog, Scarlett? Have you just... You, you said you had a Shih Tzu, is that right? Yeah, so I've got a Shih Tzu, but he actually lives with my mum and dad. Um, he, he got his bits chopped off recently. Oh. And... Uh, and he's just completely changed personalities. Like, he's he's just... He used to be super crazy, and now he's super chilled, and, like, this house is too crazy for him, so he lives with my mum and dad. I'm sure there's a lesson to be learnt from that, gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> just, just don't chop them off. <laughs> 
And what's the Shih Tzu called, Scarlett? It's called Harry. You had dogs growing up, didn't you? Yeah, so we've all, we, I've always had a dog in the house, actually, so please don't laugh, because everyone always laughs when I, I do, and I don't know why I called him this, but when I was five, I got my first dog, and he was a Labrador called Glenn. <laughs> Which, now I look back, like, I have no idea where that name came from, and as a five-year-old shouting in the park, Glenn, it, it is a bit weird. <laughs> why do you think you were named him Glenn? I just really like human names. Like Bonnie, isn't it? Because I'm named after Scarlett O'Hara from Gone With The Wind. Her full name is Bonnie Blue Butler. She's named after the first child that Scarlett O'Hara has. <laughs> a friend of mine once said to me that I reminded them of Bonnie Blue Bell. And seeing as her only character trait is being spoiled before she dies, <laughs> I, was, I, was a bit, I wasn't sure how to take that. I would take it as a compliment. <laughs> So you were saying Glenn was your first dog? Yeah. And your parents were, did they love dogs? Did your parents, you know, your family love dogs? Uh, my mum didn't, I'll be honest. My mum, like, hates all animals, really, which doesn't really paint her in the best light, but she's a very caring person, but she hates, like, just butterflies, anything. She just hates all animals, but she likes her own dogs. But other people, she's not keen on. I want to know a bit about your childhood because you've just told me that you were named after Scarlett O'Hara, which is so brilliant. And kind of there was a weird, unusual story behind it, wasn't there? Yeah, so my mum and dad, because my mum and dad had me when they were quite young, so my mum was 19, and they couldn't really decide what to call me. And it's quite a big thing, isn't it, like naming someone? Like, that's the name you stuck with for the rest of your life. So my dad wanted to call me Sigourney because he loves the film Alien and his favourite character in that is Sigourney Weaver. So they had a game of Scrabble to determine who would pick my first name and thankfully my mum knew the word Quixotism. <laughs> and that is why I'm called Scarlet Sigourney and not Sigourney Scarlet. <laughs> Were you pleased that you got Scarlet instead of Sigourney then? Well, I mean, then I learned who Scarlett O'Hara was and she was like, she wasn't the best of people, was she really? She was a bit of an arsehole. But I think it does explain why I got an A star in textiles, GCSE, because she was very good at sewing. And I think that like that side of me was because of my namesake. <laughs> So your family at that point, it was just you and your mum, uh, Betty, am I am yeah. I right? Yeah, um, Betty. Elizabeth. Yes, um, Elizabeth. <laughs> I feel I can call her Betty. Yeah, um, you can. And your dad, all I know is that he has Alan Shearer hair, but he's, <laughs> is he called Mark, your dad? Yeah, but everyone calls him Toffo. <laughs> I don't know that? what. I actually have no idea, but even I call him Toffo. Which I know, like, people might think... Because I actually sometimes call my mum Betty and my dad Toffo, which I, I think it's just a northern thing because I once did that in London and I, and someone was like, that's really disrespectful, calling your parents by the first name. I'm like, oh, everyone does it up north. I, I rather like it when people do that because um, I think it's sort of relating to them as people, isn't it? Rather yeah. than... I don't know, sort of... Um, you do things for me it's kind of oh no we're all individuals you know i think it's it's quite nice when kids do that um, and everyone has the same accent up here we all sound exactly the same so if everyone's shouting <laughs> mum and dad you don't know who they're talking to <laughs> so 
I'm interested to know because you were you were an only child at that point, and obviously your parents, as you say, were were pretty young when they had you. Can you remind me how old they were again? Yeah, so my mum was nineteen, my dad was twenty three, and my nanny was thirty seven. So my nan, yeah. And it's so funny because I always remember my nan being like an old person. Like she always had chalk ices in the drawer. She taught me how to knit. She was always drinking snowballs. But then I look back and I'm like, in eight years time, I will be her age when I was born. What sort of effect do you think that had on you in the sense that I got the sense when I read your book of you almost being sort of curiously sophisticated and an adult almost for your age when you were a child. Yeah, and I think that's because my mum and dad were like my best friends. I was always a bit weird. Like my dad would take me um, like metal detecting. That was one of our favourite things to do. And we'd go looking for crop circles <laughs> with Glenn. And <laughs> that was like my childhood. So I think, yeah, I always have been a little bit older than my age. I mean, I know what type of person I was at 19 and the thought of looking after another human, now it all makes sense of like, obviously like when you're older, you know how to look after people more. And I think like a, a big thing that all brought us together, it wasn't like a strict family. My dad would, um, a trick that he used to do is he would pretend that he was stuck down the plug hole in the bathroom. And he would, obviously, now I know he would hide behind the door. And my mum would shout at me and she'd be like, Scarlet, quick, come through. And then he'd be doing a little voice and he'd be like, I'm stuck, help, help. And so my mum would be like, you need to go and get some string. You need to go. So I'd like run to the kitchen, get some string. And then he'd quickly jump in the bath. And he'd be like, oh, I'm saved. And I'd be like, oh, Dad, I'm so pleased because I just don't know what I'd do if you got stuck down there forever. <laughs> <laughs> and he must have done that. And then... Apparently, this isn't a thing that lots of people do, but my mum used to pretend to be dead all the time, which actually sounds horrific, but it was the funnest game as a kid. So I remember being about six, and she would, like, put tomato sauce on her mouth as if she was, like, bleeding from the mouth, and then my dad would be like, what are we going to do? And I'd, like, pretend to resuscitate her and stuff. And, like, not, at the time, it was hilarious, and I'd be like... And then she'd, like, pretend to breathe, and I'd be like, yay, all is well. But then, when I tell my friends that, they're like, are you OK? Like, that sounds horrific. <laughs> the thing is, if the people that you love the most, we can all take the mick out of each other. Anything that anyone else says can't affect you. So, for example, I had really bushy eyebrows. Like, I had a full-on monobrow until the age of 12. Um, and my mum and dad would call me Helga Pataki. You know, like the girl off Hey Arnold with the big eyebrow. <laughs> that was my nickname until I was 12 from my own parents. They'd go, come on, Helga. So then when other kids called me at school, I'd be like, well, I'm not really bothered because my own mum and dad called me Helga Pataki and I laugh about it. So I think really they just sort of taught me how to just just have a laugh. Like, if if you take back control... Of, of joking about yourself and being like and owning it no one else can really hurt yeah 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 and so it gives you a sort of re emotional resilience I suppose in a way yeah. all of us are like that we're, we're a really big family and we're all like that like a term of endearment for us is like we'd call each other lizard lips like do you know what I mean like so we'd be like you're all right lizard lips and that's us being nice to each other 
and and so yeah I think because we all did that and I, I did sort of feel invincible I think obviously being bullied is awful but my dad would say bullies are like sandpaper the more they wear you down the more polished you become and mm. I always took that and like so whenever anyone was like mean to me or name called even though it hurt I would come back home and then like they'd say well what did they say and I say well they said that my eyebrows like are awful and my mum's like well they are a bit aren't they like you don't like them either do you and I'd be like oh yeah and she's like so why are you getting upset and I'm like oh yeah I suppose I don't know because they're not actually saying anything that I don't think myself <laughs> do you know what I mean which sounds really harsh but actually it just meant that I didn't really care so like if someone was like it's like now for example if someone says oh you're fat that I can't get offended by that because I am I wanted to ask because your dad was a welder and your mum was um she worked in in retail didn't she yeah and they sound like they had a real work ethic which obviously rubbed off on you a bit didn't it yeah, yeah. and I remember sort of being very envious of my friends because their parents were home all the time my mum would have to go to work. My dad always started work at six in the morning. Um, and then my nan would take me to school. Then she'd go to work. Then I'd come back. I'd, I'd sometimes go to my auntie's. Um, she worked at an old people's home. So I would stay there until my mum and dad finished work. And then they'd pick me up. And I used to be so envious. I used to be like, oh, I wish like my mum was one of those mums where I'd come home and like chicken nuggets and chips would be on the table. But then I realised now it meant we could go abroad on a holiday every year, which was like a really massive thing at the time. And I got to do ballroom and Latin dancing and I got to get the trainers that I wanted and things like that, which I know sound like they're not important. But actually, when I look back, I'm like, that was really nice of them to to do that I do always say to my mum oh I'm so sorry because I think a lot of the time I did make them feel bad and they'd say things like well we go to work because otherwise we wouldn't be able to do nice things and I'm like I'm not bothered about nice things I just want you to be here but it makes sense now that I'm older yeah and I and I think as you say I realize that you know with my own family you only realize that with age don't you and yeah. as you get closer to the age you were when your parents were had, had you you sort of think gosh how did they do it you know what they were oh, I know. juggling and, and and I remember um I'd look at my mum because she had like a diary and it would have a days off in and I remember occasionally if she was off on like a Wednesday on the Tuesday night I'd I'd pretend I was ill I'd be like, oh, I just really don't feel very well. And she's like, is it because I'm off work tomorrow? And I'm like, I had no idea. So then I'd like stay off school, like I'd pretend to be ill. I used to like put my hand near the light bulb so that it was hot, then touch my forehead. She'd be like, <laughs> right, well, you can have a day off tomorrow then, but you've got to do your work. And then I'd quickly do my schoolwork on a morning and then just spend all day with her. And like, I didn't do it all the time because then she would click on. But I remember doing that just so I could literally have like, a full day with my mum while she was off work. Well, I used to pretend to be ill quite regularly. And in fact, I'm getting the impression I relate to a lot of your behaviour as a child <laughs> because you strike me 
as something of a drama queen and yeah. as a fellow drama queen as a child, <laughs> I can say that. So as an example of something I did, and now you're going to have to confess some things, <laughs> I once wrote my mother a birthday card saying, Dear Mummy, please have a happy birthday because if you don't, dot, 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 in caps, it will ruin my whole life. Love, Emily. <laughs> So that's where I am. Um, over to you, Scarlett Moffat. <laughs> I mean, whenever I got in trouble, I, I'm quite manipulative, actually. Like, now that I look back, I'm like, what a manipulative child I was. I would pack a bag, and it always had maybe, like, four pairs of pants in, my noddy toy, a couple of Jacqueline Wilson books, you know, just the essentials. <laughs> and then I'd write a letter, and it would be like, um, Dear Mum and Dad... I'm going back to the shop that you bought me from. Please go and buy a new child that will love you more than me, that will not be evil. Um, uh, PSI moving away, like, love you lots. Then I'd knock on the living room door, post that letter, and then I'd take ages to fumble with the key so it gives them a chance to read the letter. And I'd be there with my little bag, and then they'd, like, open the door and they'd go come on in, all's forgiven. And I'd be like, are you sure you can go and buy another kid if you want? And they'd be like, no, come on, it's fine. <laughs> it's really oh, evil, isn't dear. it? That's so manipulative. I feel, I feel less bad about the card now. Yeah, but you I should, mean, honestly. It's still pretty bad. <laughs> what sort of a, a child were you at school? You know, were you quite... I get the sense you were you were into your books and you were not geeky, but you were, you were quite insular in a way, weren't you? I mean, at primary school, I had, like one best friend who was Rosie um, and every Friday would go to her dad's house and he'd make us pancakes and would watch Bernard's Watch because my friends were at dancing I didn't really have any friends at school especially not secondary school like I know this sounds sad but people like Tracy Beaker were my friends like mm. to me characters in books were were my friends and that's who that's who I related to really and I would just constantly read all the time and I mean it helped because it meant that I was good at school I really loved school I was the kid that um we were laughing actually because me and my mum found an old project that I'd done and I'd done 50 pages including a contents page of farm diversification and uh, that was a project that no one even asked me to do I just decided off my own back to do a 50 page project on farm diversification just just for something to do <laughs> that sums my childhood up. It's escapism in a way, isn't it? Yeah, like Jacqueline, to me, Jacqueline Wilson was like my auntie. And sort of when my mum and dad were at work or I wasn't at dancing, they were my friends. That was my way of not feeling lonely, I suppose. That was, I never felt lonely when I was reading because I was so in, like into the book. You forget where you are, so you you could be anywhere. To me, I was in the dumping ground with Tracy Beaker next to her while she was kicking off, rather than just sort of sat at home by myself eating a Kit Kat. <laughs> and did you, in your group of friends at school, what was your role? Do you know what I mean? I always think everyone, oh, you, you're the joker, aren't you? Although, I mean, it's oversimplifying stuff because you're just friends. But still, I think when you're growing up and you're sort of shaping your own identity, aren't you? There's a sense of what, who am I in this, yeah. in this gang? Well, I think at dancing with my group of friends, I was definitely the joker. And I quickly found that a, an easy way to make friends is to make people laugh. Mm, mm. Um, and a lot of that actually is sort of taking the mick out of yourself. So in a way, you're sort of doing the bully's job. 
because mm. you just make jokes of yourself. And then that way, everyone felt like, oh, well, she's okay. She she can she can make a joke out of herself. We'll let her in in our little gang. But yeah, I didn't really have like a proper group of friends until I was like 14. And I spent like a lot of time with my mum and dad. And actually, it was, and my mum always says, oh, I wish I'd never done this, but she, I, I sort of tried to fit in. So I remember being 14 and going through so many different phases. So my mum went out and bought me loads of Fred Perry jackets and uh, some pink Timberlands. And she'd take me to these little mini, like under 18 raves. And I quickly realised, like, I can't even pretend that I'm into this. This is not me at all. Then I went into a goth stage and my mum got me loads of eyeliner and <laughs> loads of um, CDs. And I think that's the difference between when I was a teenager and my little sister, because my little sister's 14 now and we really encourage her not to fit in. Because mm. you just quickly realise like that they're not real friends anyway. But as a kid, it means so much to fit in. Like you just want to... I wasn't even bothered about being popular. I just wanted to blend. That was my goal, really, to blend into school. Sometimes I think it's going on to do something different or creative. It, it requires being a bit other, you know, yeah. which means you stand out at school because you're not like everyone else. Yeah, I, I definitely think that. But it's just and it, it's so hard to explain when you're a kid. So when mm. I try and explain that to Ava, Sometimes I can see her eye rolling me, but I'm like, just because she does things like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, her friends have got like an anime group. Like she, they're really different. Like I'm so happy that she's just unapologetically herself. Because mm, mm. I wish that I'd sort of had the confidence to do that. Really, I wanted to ask about when you got into ballroom dancing. How did that happen? So my mum always loved watching like the very, very first Strictly Come Dancing. I'm not even sure it was called Strictly Come Dancing. It was on in the 80s. And so she loved that. So when I was four, she actually took me to my first dance lesson and I just loved it. Like, and I can still now smell the inset hairspray. <laughs> like, still now it is engraved <laughs> in the back of my throat. We used to um, put shoe polish on our hair so that it was really <laughs> shiny. I remember using, you couldn't really get fake tan. Um, so we used to get mini rollers, like what you roll paint with on walls and bodybuilder mm. tan. So I mean, no wonder <laughs> I got picked on because like, I remember once being 11 and going to school, like full on Oompa Loompa style. Like I could blend into mahogany furniture. I was orange. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and like, it just did not come off. Like we used to have to have Dettol baths to scrub the tan off. <sighs> And your mum, presumably as well, you were saying, you know, she was working long hours, as was your dad. And that's that's quite a sort of um, a full a full time job almost, isn't it? Going to the competitions and presumably there's a big financial outlay as well, is there? With the clothes and the sequins yeah, and the... <laughs> it's only when when I got older that I realised, like, I think practically my whole mum's wage sort of went on that dancing. And it's funny because I was one of the only kids that sort of went to... Like a normal school, like a comp like a normal school. A lot of them went to private school and everything and so really it was quite a, a weird environment to to be in because everyone was quite well to do. But I never ever felt like I wasn't. I never felt like an outsider or 
like my mum always made sure that I had private classes and I did quite well really like I was was one of the top ones in the in the dance school which which I'm very proud of I why always feel like I'm being a big head but I was really good <laughs> why did you stop doing it Scarlett so I got to 19 and sort of got into well I was at uni and then I was like oh there's these things called men <laughs> and and vodka shots <laughs> And uh, and I was sort of too busy going out that it just sort of took the back burner. And then I always had every intention of starting again, but like a year went by and then two years and you realise that your fitness level's gone down and everyone who wasn't as good as you is now better than you because they've been gone. So I just never started it again. It's one of my biggest regrets, really. I wish that I'd kept on doing it. But then, hang on, you must get the Strictly call every year. They must be dying for you to come on. Or are you too professional? Do you think well, that's Well, I mean, a, a I problem? haven't danced for, like, ten years. And um, and I think now, if I was to dance, I probably would look like a sack of potatoes moving around <laughs> the dance floor. So I don't know. what I think maybe they think, oh, she's danced before. But, I mean, let's be honest... A lot of people on that dance floor have danced yeah. before. <laughs> like, coming out week one doing, like, the splits and stuff. I'm like, this isn't your first rodeo, is it, hon? I know, some of the guests are like, isn't it, like, Wayne Sleep or something? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Come on, do were... a full tap routine. Like, just learnt it in a week. They've done amazing. Well done. And they'll do the video, you know, when they do the video of him breaking down crying, saying, yeah. I just can't do it. I just, I'm no good at dancing. And I was like, really? <laughs> By week even... three, they're strapped to the ceiling doing full flips. <laughs> Wayne, I thought you were the principal dancer of the Royal Ballet. That's weird. You're crying. Um, tell me, Scarlett, you had a really difficult moment, didn't you, when you were hit by a car when you were about 11? Yeah, so I'd actually just learnt how to ride a bike without stabilisers for about maybe a month, like, of actually being confident. And uh, this car came whizzing round the corner and um, bumped my wheel. And I just remember sort of, like, it felt like about 10 seconds. It was probably half a second. I was like Peter Pan. I literally flew through the sky off this bike. Um, and luckily I had a helmet on, but I smashed all my chin and my teeth and I broke um, my front two teeth and there was just blood everywhere. And I remember I had my favourite Tammy Girl T-shirt on. I was more gutted about my Tammy Girl T-shirt, to be honest. And it was just covered in blood. And I remember a girl called Kaylee, my friend, was trying to pick up shards of my teeth and just had them in her hand. And I ran in to see my mum and, like, her face just went grey. And uh, I had to have loads of surgery on my teeth and everything. And then the doctor said that possibly the trauma of that brought on Bell's palsy. And so a month later, I actually got Bell's palsy, which um, I know that the treatment's better for it now, but at the time, that's why my face isn't symmetrical and I have to sleep with, like, a sleep mask on because one of my eyes doesn't close properly. Then I lost the nerve in one of my tooth, so my front tooth went black. I had to have these plastic teeth um, because dentistry wasn't the greatest then. The veneers aren't like what they are now 
and then I couldn't move half my face. So, I mean, it was like God looked down upon me and was like, we're going to have to give this girl a sense of humour because if mm. she didn't have bad luck, she'd have no luck at all. <laughs> that must have been really tough, actually, especially as, a, as you say, at that age, about to enter adolescence yeah. and you're self-conscious enough anyway, you know. Um, but I suppose your parents were just so relieved that it was nothing... I mean, it was serious for you and it had an impact on you, but not medically serious long term. Yeah, because I remember it can be a sign of um, leukaemia and I remember not actually really understanding why I had to go to hospital and have all these blood tests and things. And it was one of the only... I've only ever seen my dad cry three times and it was one of the only times I'd ever seen my dad cry. And I remember him making a joke of it because he used my socks. I had to take my shoes and socks off and he used my sock to dry his eyes. And I remember him then blowing his nose in it to try and make a joke, saying, oh, you're going to have snotty feet now. But I remember feeling really weird by it. I was like, oh, what? Like, why is why are they so upset? Um, but luckily it wasn't that. But I remember that was, that was not a nice day. Mm. And I think because dancing was my safe place and it was a place where I could be my best self and I was a performer and I could sort of not be quiet, geeky Scarlet. I could be like, oh, this person with like a glittery dress on living my best life it, it affected that as well because I was so shy to sort of smile because my smile wasn't the best and but it, it did sort of help my confidence but I think it was just harsh because that's when you sort of start fancying boys and boys start fancying you and I always remember um my cousin was just so pretty she still is actually and she's she's lovely inside now mm. but all the boys used to fancy and I always felt like the spare part like I also remember being on MSN and um, everyone used to say, oh, who do you fancy? I'd said, who do you fancy? And they told me and they'd put you, question mark. And I thought this guy called Stewie meant he fancied me, but he was just asking me the same question. So he was like, you, question mark. And I remember feeling so like I remember standing up off my computer desk literally like swinging around in my chair like yay like Stewie fancies me and then I was like really and then he was like yeah like let me know who you fancy and I remember that was my first heartbreak I think even though we never actually were boyfriend and girlfriend I remember feeling wow someone fancies me and then realizing oh no they're just asking me who I fancy and of course they were saying they fancied my cousin and I was like oh I'm like the spare bloody party yeah (laughs) it's um when you look back on those hideous moments and you know what you must never tell your sister and I never tell my nieces is people say oh you'll forget it you won't you won't (laughs) you You never do (laughs) you're telling me 15 years later or whatever (laughs) I mean, you've achieved quite a lot in your life, but we haven't even got to that yet. All we care about is the fact that Stewie said on you on yeah. MSN. Um, <laughs> tell me what happened, Scarlett, after school. You got uh, the geek's revenge with the, the A grades, didn't you? You completely nailed your results and that must have been, oh, that must have been a great day. Yeah, because... And that is, and do you know what I remember going into the school gates and like, and everything being set up outside because it was a really hot day and all of our results were um were out there. And my little sister had actually like just been born as well, so she was born around the same time that I was getting my grades. So I was already like feeling super happy, and yeah, and I got 
13 A star to B GCSEs. And I remember seeing the kids that really picked on me and some of them were upset. Some of them were like, oh, I'm not bothered. I remember one girl ripping her GCSE results up and I was like, see, like, and I know obviously, you know, sometimes grades don't matter depending on what job you wanted, but that to me was a very small victory because it meant that I got to go to the college that I really wanted to go to. And I went to a lovely sixth form called Queen Elizabeth. And, and then there I made like friends for life and, and I did well there. And it meant that I got to go to university. And that's where literally my like best, best friends like came from. Because, uni. Yeah, yeah, because you get to really, really, when you're in a school, you're sort of thrown together. You have got to sort of, like, forced friends. You were doing sports coaching. You switched degrees, didn't you? And did you uh, did you not exactly look like the typical person doing sports coaching uh, when you turned? No, because what I did is I did a QTS. <laughs> it's because I wanted to be a primary school teacher. And they were like, right, so you're going to have to pick... Um, like a core subject and I was going to pick English and then everyone was like it's really difficult don't choose English so I was like what is the easiest and I was like PE that's really easy isn't it that's just kicking balls about all that stuff oh my god it was so difficult and I remember going into the first lecture and I wore a leopard print maxi dress I had pillar blocks red hair because my friend had helped me box dye my hair the night before Full fake tan, false eyelashes. Everyone had tracksuits on. Literally, I was like the only person. And, and the lecturer, Ian, he actually went, oh, have you got, this is sports coaching? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I didn't get the memo of tracksuits. And he was like, of course we wear tracksuits. <laughs> After university, um, you did a series of sort of proper jobs. Oh, there's Bonnie. Yeah, she's gone crazy. We'll just ignore her because she just Does she, she always has food? a mad. No, she just always has a mad half hour. I think it's a two-hour thing. Does she? Um. Oh, she might. Have... Oh, oh there's the doorbell. Get the doorbell the if you need to. <laughs> I don't so... mind hanging on. I quite like real life peeping in. We can hang on. Go and get the door, Scarlet. Let's Thanks. see who it is. Scarlet Moffat's answering the door. <laughs> Bunny. Actually, who is it? Is it still there? Who is it? How much is the win the windows? Twenty. Thank you. I'll just go and get it. I owe the window cleaner twenty pound. <laughs> Bonnie, calm down, man. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Because I didn't have any money last time he came and he, he just he came randomly. But that's alright, that ain't it? Twenty quid for your windows washed. Is it, well, I don't know how many windows you've got, Scholar. You could live in uh, the Palace of Versailles. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a, quite a few windows, like. But, um, that's yeah, decent that's prices. Right. Yeah, I think it's about fifty pence a window. Do you find Scarlet because you still live in your manor, as it were? Does everyone sort of know where you are, and obviously they know who you are, so? Is there a sense of kind of being respectful of you and looking after you and... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. Bonnie! I'm just trying... Come on in here. Come on. There's Bonnie shows enough. no such respect. Yeah, no, she doesn't. <laughs> there, just chill out there. Um, well, I do get the odd occasional person... I've actually... It's happened about maybe ten times. People have come to the door for jobs. So, like, they've come to the door and said, oh, would I be able to, like, do your makeup 
like and I'm like yes but it's a bit weird you're coming to my house like I don't know who you are yeah <laughs> but I understand and I completely get that like oh my god she's really going mad I think she thinks he's still there she's Bonnie come on why are you doing that you're normally good Scott just take her He's actually still in bed because he didn't finish work till seven. Oh, hi, Scott. That's um, Mr. <laughs> Scarlet. Hi, Scott. There, I've That's put her with him. Yeah, because he, he was on night, so he's still in bed. He's not lazy. It's 12 o'clock. He wouldn't normally be in bed at 12. Although what I am. I've got no excuse. What does Scott do? <laughs> Are we allowed to know what Scott does? Yeah, so he's, um, he's a police officer. I mean, that's the dream. I really, I always used to say when I was younger, I said, oh, I'd love to be with a man. And suddenly he'd get one of those lights out and just put it on the top of the car. You know, when they do that. Oh, it's all I've ever wanted, Scarlett. <laughs> you can borrow Scott whenever you want. Talk me through when you left university and you did a series of, you worked in shops, didn't you? You worked in Asda and yeah, places so like that. I've always had like, I've had, so my first job was when I was 14. Um, I've like just always had jobs, whether it was like helping out at the dance school or um, while I was at uni, I worked at Asda, I worked as a shop girl, I handed out leaflets, I worked at Topshop, I worked at Clinique for a little bit. Oh, did I've, you? Like, yeah, yeah I've I'm like, I've had so many jobs. I sort of like got a job to suit. So like, for example, I got a job at Topshop so me and my friends could get discount. Mm. And then I got a job at Clinique so that we could get free makeup. Mm. Um, but yeah, when I left uni, it was really hard because it was like there was the recession on. And I remember sort of going to the job centre and had all these qualifications. And they said, oh, we're going to send you on a CV course. And I was like, what? And they said, yeah, we're going to send you on a course. It's for a full day and you learn how to write a CV. And I was just like, well, I know how to write a CV, like what jobs are available. And like every time I tried to get a job in teaching or coaching, they would say that I needed more experience. And I was like, well, if no one gives me a job, I'm never going to get experience. So it was like this really vicious circle. And so mm -hmm. I ended up just sort of getting lots of odd jobs. Um, and then I got a job working as a disability advisor, um, which was a really like fun, rewarding job. And I worked at a call centre as well to make a bit more money. And then my friend Tommy rang and said, oh, um, do you, you know quite a lot of people. Do you know anyone who'll, uh, who'll do this TV show? It's like a little audition. We'll come to the house. And I was like, oh, well, if you explain what show it is, I'll let people know. And he said, right, so you watch the telly? And I went, yeah. And he went, nah, that's it. I went, bloody hell, Tommy, they'll make programmes about anything these days, won't they? And he was like, no, it's really good. It's had one series out already. And I rang around and no one, literally everyone was like, no. So then Tommy was like, will you just do us a favour and like have your mum and dad round and like just do this little audition? And I was like, yeah, but we're not actually, it's not going on the TV, is it? He was like, no, no, it's not going on the TV. And then... Yeah, me and my dad had, like, an argument about the one-bedroom tax. Um, I got Piers Morgan confused um, with David Cameron. And then the next day, they rang and said, oh, we'd like you to do Gogglebox. And so that was, like, a little bit extra money. We got a free takeaway. We got 50 quid. 
And how did your parents, when you explained it to them, Scarlett, do you think there was a sense of them sort of just thinking, oh, we'll just do this as a favour for Scarlett's mate? That seems, that's sort of why you went into it. So was that quite strange when it, suddenly you were going to be on TV every week? Yeah, definitely. And it was actually my dad, the man who says nothing whilst filming Gogglebox, <laughs> who was like, oh, well, what's the worst that can happen, really? And it was only on on a Wednesday night when we it was it wasn't like a big show when we came on it, so mm. we had no idea of like the enormity of what it would become. So I think we just thought, oh well, it'll be a bit of fun, won't it? Fifty quid each and a takeaway. We get all bond as a family and watch a bit telly. <laughs> and were your parents still working at the time, so doing their day job and and were you still at ASDA or had you so I was uh working as a disability advisor then mm. and um my mum worked at Burton's and my dad yeah my dad my dad's still a welder now he loves it he thinks he's in flash dance um <laughs> but yeah he yeah so we all were like film we filmed like twice a week and then we'd all just get up and do our normal jobs which wasn't weird at first but after mm. a couple of years it was weird because like I'd be going to get the bus to to work and mm. people would be asking for photos and things or they'd be like quoting something that I'd said on Gogglebox and I'd be like right. oh this is actually getting a bit weird now like people know who I am. Well, were you quite just overwhelmed initially because I think it's fame and and any sort of attention like that focus is can be quite overwhelming initially. What what aspects of it did you find, I suppose, tougher to deal with? Oh, I think, like, the whole thing was overwhelming. And when you're a kid, you imagine being famous, so to speak, or publicly known as this really fun, cool thing and people's asking for your autograph and, like, wow, how cool is that? And then when it actually happens, you realise that a lot of your time is taken up and it and all of a sudden you can't just go to the shop with no makeup on and the, and your hair on top of your head or you can't go on a night out and be silly and get drunk and dance around with a mop in case someone's there with a camera or the, their phone or you, you know and, and so you do start at the beginning I really like over I just kept overthinking all the time like mm. it got to the point where I didn't really go out a lot because I didn't like to because I'd like because I, I don't like to be rude to people so I'd end up chatting to people for like half an hour like the amount of trains that I'd missed because I just didn't want to go oh yeah I've got to go now because in my mind that was really rude Mm. And like mm. a couple of times when I had said to people, like especially like when Ava was only little, so I think when we started, Ava was maybe eight years old, um, and if I was doing something with Ava, like I don't know, I remember taking her to paint some pottery, um, and people were videoing us while we were painting pottery, and I remember mm. feeling like really like angry because I was like, oh, you know, like she's only eight, so why are you doing this like to us? Mm, and and mm. I remember getting really frustrated and for a long time, like, sort of just not really wanting to go out the house because I thought, oh, well, it's not the same anymore. I don't think that now. Like, I've learned how to sort of deal with it. And now I take it as a massive compliment that actually people know that I'm approachable. Because, I mean, there's a few people I've met off the telly and I've thought, 
oh no I'll not ask them for a photo <laughs> so it's nice that actually people think oh yeah we can go off to Scarlet she's one of us <laughs> I, I get this sense of you being in a way quite an introverted child you know with your head in a book um even if you were capable of of being funny and mucking in with the family and then you find yourself in essentially an extrovert's life you yeah. know and I, and I wonder if there was a bit of a a process of adjustment with that as well. Do you know what? That's so nice and refreshing to hear that because so many times I try and explain that I'm actually quite shy and people are like, well, you can't be because of your job and the way that... But I, I actually am. Like, I have a very small circle of friends. I tend to do a lot of things in the house. I'm quite an indoorsy person. Um, I don't really like going out for drinks. I sort of have house parties where I feel comfortable and stuff and yeah it is really hard to try and I think sometimes like not rude but I think sometimes when I'm sort of feeling a little bit shy or like when people come up and I'm on my own I'm not with my mum or anything like say if someone came and sat next to me on a train and chatted it would take quite a while for me to sort of like warm up and then I mm-hmm. and I'd after and I'd constantly feel myself apologising, being, oh sorry, like I'm actually quite shy, and so I do feel like I massively had to sort of learn how to cope with being in a room with a lot of people wanting to chat to you, because mm. I'd never had that before. No one really wanted to chat to us before, so it was fine being like an introvert when you're not on the TV because. No one really wanted to know how my day was at Asda, but now all of a sudden that I'm on the TV, I was having a yeah. To, to, and to and when quite people quickly. say that, make that assumption about you, of course, what they're forgetting is what you became best known for was doing exactly that: was sitting at yeah. home with your family talking quietly about the TV. You know, you yeah. weren't on the stage at the Palladium going, "Look at me, everyone." <laughs> yeah, and do you know what? Actually, Bonnie, I think that is why I've always loved having dogs because my safe space is just with a dog (laughs) like I love just sitting and like I don't even have to be watching anything I can literally just when I go down London because I normally go to London maybe three times a week I always need a day after to do nothing and I probably come across really rude because I don't even look at my phone and then I always have to play catch up but it's because I always just it's so loud to me and that's why I moved back up north because it's a lot quieter here and there is space to sort of just stick your wellies on and walk your dog and I loved London but it was just so busy all the time Mm. Um, so that's why I always say I'm a bit like Miley Cyrus I feel like I've got the best of both worlds like I sort of go down there and I'm like jazz hands scarlet with like a OQ and studio floor and then I come back home and I'm like just sitting in a dressing gown for three days eating carbs (laughs) loving life (laughs) obviously everyone as everyone will know you did um I'm a celebrity get me out of here and that was huge for you wasn't it in terms of just I suppose turning into this sort of national treasure really um thank you was that I mean that that was a big step for you wasn't it that was that was crazy so I got asked um like I sort of went in to chat about doing it the year before and uh, it was one of the only times that I'd ever actually been to London like actually off the train like in London so it was this like wow like I'm in London having a meeting about the jungle and then 
I don't know, like my gut instinct was like, just don't do it because no one's going to know who you are. Like it's, can you really cope? I, I've never been away from my mum for that long before. Um, but then I got asked to do it the year after and I thought, I can't miss this opportunity. Like it's a show I absolutely love. My mum and dad will be going out there. So it's, I'm only not seeing them for two weeks um, if I get voted out first. And then I, it it give it did give me loads of confidence. Like I think because you put in scenarios where you have to do crazy things, anything else just feels like it's tiny. Like I remember coming out of the jungle and doing karaoke for the first time, and I'd never dared do it before then. And I was like, if I can eat a camel penis, I can definitely <laughs> sing a bit of like Gloria Gaynor on the karaoke. That but, interests me. Is there a fearlessness? To you do you think with regards to challenges do you think i'll sod it you know you only live once with stuff like that i think i always just think like because i because i've never really sort of like been the cool one or like been sort of accepted i think i just really don't care what people think i think that's the thing i think i just think well what do, if i what like what's the worst that can happen like, people are going to judge as well. He did that anyway, so I may as well just try it because life's too short. But I did definitely yeah. feel more confident, like, winning that show, because it's such a huge show, I did sort of feel like, oh, it's okay to be me. Like, I can be a bit weird and a bit introverted because a lot of the time I just spent sitting on my hammock talking to Joel. Like, me and Joel would just sit for hours talking on the hammock and I thought, how am I getting through what are they showing because they must be showing me doing something interesting so I definitely felt more accepted when I won that so that was presumably there's something about that show I suppose because as you say it's kind of showing it's showing the real you because you're not in a studio you haven't had your hair done you haven't got anecdotes do you know what I mean it's not the there's not the option of having control over the editing or anything you know and when you're like you're hungry you're tired you're missing your family like that is the realest you can get because you can't fake that like if you you know yourself if you're hungry and tired and then on top of that it's cold you just can't pretend I used to be so self-conscious about the way that I looked on my body and everything. And so I would really try and like, I would never edit, but I would try and like position myself in certain Me ways too, yeah. and, and like, or I'd um, take it from certain angles. So now I've started like actually just doing videos because there's no hiding then. And then I just think if I do that, then then people can see the real me, like I'm owning myself again. So I've started doing that a lot and, and it has helped my confidence because I think sometimes like, especially when I was younger and I constantly like filtered things or, I mean, there were so many, if I, ever I went missing, they would have to have used a photo of me with a like dog filter on, which is like, <laughs> like honestly, I, I kept, my mum would always go, Scarlett, if you went missing, the posters would be you with like a dog tongue and dog ears, like you need to stop using that filter. So I did and like, I do feel better for it because at least now if I go missing, they've got actual photos of what I look like. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine the police issuing your parents looking tearful at the press conference with a <laughs> Just picture a photo of, you with of the, me. the dog tongue. Yeah. And then I'm having to explain she doesn't normally have these ears. This is just a filter. <laughs> Scarlett, here's a question. What do people get most wrong about you? Oh, um oh, there's quite a lot, I suppose. <laughs> I think people um 
well a, a big one is people assuming that I'm like really loud all the time and I'm like super confident I'm definitely not super confident um and another one like and I don't know maybe it's the way I've portrayed myself but people always assume that I'm thick like pe I get quite a lot of um like stereotyping of people just assuming that I'm stupid I don't know if it's like my accent or whatever but like I always remember filming and and this producer sort of explaining the same thing to me three times and I was like oh yeah that's fine I understand and and then explaining it again and I was like no really like I understand and I don't know if it's just because people just think I'm from the north therefore I must be stupid I don't know that's yeah that's in well I was gonna say that's interesting that's very um that's very hurtful and yeah. unfair isn't it um how do you react in situations like that are you do you are you a confronter or are you a people pleaser I'm I appreciate pe people pleaser <laughs> massive people pleaser although sometimes I do just like because I find it really difficult to sort of be arsy with people like in my head I've got a whole sort of like I'm almost doing a soliloquy in my head like I'm not saying it out loud but inside I'm like screaming like I know I'm not stupid you're the one that's doing it wrong but then I'll just go yeah that's fine okay thanks for that like, but inside I'm screaming but on the outside I would never show that and I do think women have this a bit as well is that I think as women you're slightly encouraged to not um to be good yeah do you know what I mean to be the good girl yeah definitely because if not that? you're a, if not you're a diva or um you, you know you get like if you actually have an opinion or you have an idea sometimes it's sort of put across like oh yeah well done you're thinking like a man mm. or it's like oh well no get back in your box because that's sort of like not your place as I've gotten older I have just realized like it is it is quite difficult being a woman I feel like I never know what, like, I'm either too quiet or too loud or I'm, like, not pretty enough or I'm too fake or I'm not fake enough. Like, I just feel like you can't win. So you've just got to be yourself and then mm. not take anything personally and realise that it's other people's ignorance and them being uneducated, not you. <laughs> Tell me... um. Scott, I want to know, you've been with Scott for a while now and um, you, even, you, you guys get on so well, you even do a podcast together. Um, <laughs> tell me, how does that, what are you like to have a relationship with? What would Scott say about you? What makes it work? Um, well, he always says I'm very kind. He always says I'm the kindest person that he knows, which is nice. Um, I am a massive people pleaser and family girl, so yeah, like I'm... I, th I am like a, a gran. Like, for example, <laughs> I organise like family holidays. So yeah. I book family holidays for everyone. Um, I have like Christmas at my house. I have birthday tea parties at my house. And I have done that like for eight years now. So I am quite like <laughs> a nan. That is my, I, I very much like being the mother role. So how did you how did you and Scott meet? Do people always joke the fact that you're going out with a policeman? I presume every time you tell people what he does, oh, I know how you two met, you know, yeah. etc. <laughs> yeah, they do actually. But we've known each other for twelve years, so we've known each other like a very long time. 
Um, and to be honest with you, I am going to be honest here, and he will appreciate me saying this because I don't ever admit it, but I had actually tried going on a date with him a few times, but we just always sort of like, I was either, when he was single, I was dating someone, when I was dating someone, he was single, so like, it just never sort of like, matched up, but mm. then, but then now, it, it did, so we actually, um, we like, met in town, and then started chatting, and then I actually had like, a weird pap outside my house that was sort of trying to take photos inside my house so I rang the local police station um I didn't I didn't 999 it I was like that isn't important enough for 999 um and Scott actually came to the house to deal with that and then uh, I was like oh and my friend was in the house with me at the time and I was like he's so fit like I really fancy him and then Liam was like well why don't you just comment on his on a picture on Facebook so I actually commented on a picture of him and his dog Toby and I put oh cute and the dog you see that's quite bold I'm impressed <laughs> and then I no I'd had a couple of drinks I do not think okay. I did that sober like on the morning I was like I can't believe that I'd done that but he um he commented back with a smiley face yeah oh, I was but... absolutely wounded <laughs> but then all of his friends were messaging him saying why are you so bad at flirting scott oh, so really? then he got a couple of tips off his friends and then i and then we started chatting on facebook messenger and i was like he was just taking too long to ask me on a date and i was like look do you want to go on a date or not because like i don't have time for pleasantries like i'm just so busy <laughs> i've got an idea scarlett you could have sent him a message saying who do you fancy? And then he could have replied, <laughs> you. And then I'd have been like, oh, I fancy you too. Oh, you meant who do I fancy? Because that always goes well for you. Yeah, that, that actually is a good line for me. <laughs> oh, no, I'm starting to feel sick thinking about that. I'm feeling sick. I can't, I'll feel sick for the rest of my life about this. It keeps yeah, popping into awful. my head. So, so you must have, with you and Scott, what do you think makes it work? What do you think? Because I don't know if you've had your heart broken before. I, I have. And yeah, I have. It's I, awful. When you look back on those relationships, Scarlett, when I do, I think there were red flags all along. Yeah. <laughs> from the Honestly, start. Honestly, like, and I just wish I'd listened to my mum. I don't know why, because my mum always knows best. And I'd constantly be find myself lying for people people that I was in a relationship with or I'd find excuses so I'd be like oh well no maybe his ex is just messaging him mm -hmm. because um you know he's a nice person and that's why he's replying mm. or maybe he got in at like seven in the morning um and messaged his friend saying say that I was with you uh, mm -hmm. instead of a house party because <laughs> he's trying to spare my feelings and not make me overthink um but no it turns out should have just should have just listened to my gut instinct and my mum, um, because that's always right. But yeah. with Scott, I just, I always chose people. And again, I do mm. think this is very deep, but I do think subconsciously, I chose people that were sort of like, aesthetically out of my league, because mm. I'd always been that kid that could never get a boyfriend. Mm. So I think in my head, me choosing people who were like, proper gym bods and um were like the popular ones in the town that was my way of like reclaiming my teenage years back of never being able to 
find anyone. Um, but with Scott, like he's obviously I fancy him, but he's just like a really lovely person. Like he's really kind. I never worry. And it's took me a while to get used to sort of not having drama. Like mm. we'd just go on a night out or we'd go for food and then we'd come home, watch a bit telly and that's the night. Whereas before there would always be some sort of drama or argument and it's like I'd almost got used to that and I and I thought that that was a way of of them showing me that they cared, that they mm. would shout mm. or like... And then I just realised, no, that it, it, it was just so wrong and I wasn't really in nice relationships with people that were nice people I did get used a lot and like the fact that some of my exes you know went on take me out straight after all applied for Love Island um shows the sort of reasons why they wanted to be with me really but Scott mm. isn't like that <laughs> I can't imagine him applying for take me out <laughs> you're very um I would use the word emotionally literate you sound have you had therapy at all um, so I have, but only for a short time. Mm. Um, when I first came out of the jungle and I found every like literally the jungle, <laughs> I found everything very overwhelming. And um, I don't think I realised the massive difference of being able to walk down the street and then all of a sudden not being able to walk down the street without people knowing who you are or, um, you know, personal details of yourself being in the press. I didn't realise how much that affected me um, up until the point where I had a panic attack and I, I didn't actually know it was a panic attack. Um, I thought I was having a heart attack, which sounds really dramatic now, but I just remember walking to the front door and literally not being able to turn the handle, like really having to coax myself into to stepping outside. And that was becoming a daily occurrence where I was having to ring my mum um, and being like, I can't do it. And she would have to really sort of just get me out the house, like try and persuade me that everything was going to be okay. Um, and I realised then that I needed to speak to someone. And I'm so pleased that I did because it it did, it did massively help. And it made me realise that I wasn't alone and that it, I wasn't sort of having out-of-body experiences because... I was crazy. It's just because that was how my mind was dealing with things that were going on. Um, mm, but mm. it's always good to it's always good to talk. And um, when I felt sad in the past, I've um, I've always rang the Samaritans. There's like a a lifeline for me where I always feel better if I'm feeling overwhelmed and I feel like I don't want to be sort of a burden on my family, even though I know they would never see it as that. I always ring the Samaritans just to offload a little bit well so i've rung the samaritans when i went through a tough time and you know what i think more people i think i suspect more people than you probably are realize have have contacted the samaritans yeah. and i'm a big believer in people opening up about that because i think it can be the difference between well being here one, one day and, and not here the next you know yeah, i'm not definitely. suggesting that was how you felt but i mean i just mean it's it can stop you descending into a darker place was how my personal experience of it it was yeah. an objective voice saying i i'm listening and yeah because i think that's the thing i always thought right well a way to cope is to be on my own mm. but i but then i realized actually that's what's making me worse is that I'm not answering my phone, that I'm not going out, that I am just sitting in bed for days on end. That that it it does make you feel worse. So 
Now, whenever I do start to feel a little bit like that, I always just take things in little steps. So I'll go, right, mm. go and brush your teeth. That's the first thing. And then once exactly. you brush your teeth, you find that you can go and brush your hair. Then you can find you can put clothes on. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't feel like this big, massive thing going to the shops. It's just you're taking it in little steps. Then you pat yourself on the back. You say, oh, I've got my dressing gown on. Yeah. That's good. I'm not sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell me about your podcast with Scott. Oh, I mean, I've always wanted to do something to do with conspiracy theories because... I mean, I'm named after an alien hunter, Sigourney. Mm-hmm. I, um, my fondest memories was my dad uh, us making notes on crop circles. And um, I once fell on a plug and he convinced me that I'd been probed by an alien because uh, it was in a perfect <laughs> symmetrical triangle. But even though I was the one that fell on the plug, I still believe my dad. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to, especially during lockdown, I think people were just running out of things to talk about, things to watch. So I wanted to get a conversation started of of different things, things that maybe people didn't realise were a theory or that they could Google. So yeah, we went from like the Illuminati to royal conspiracies to moon landings and doing it with Scott was really fun. I mean, it was never the plan actually, but obviously lockdown happened. Um, <laughs> and I'm so pleased we did because he is the complete opposite of me and he is very like methodical factual um he sees things in a different way to me so it was good it was a good contrast because i'm constantly trying to persuade him to believe in at least one conspiracy <laughs> i haven't managed it yet but maybe next series i will tell me about celebrity karaoke club because you know what this is this is a, a series that's um happening soon isn't it and I've always thought you look like you've got a bit of a voice on you. Oh, thanks. Well, my mum always says I would make it to judges' houses on X Factor, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't get any further. <laughs> I mean, your mum. I need oh, your mum in well. my life. Whenever I have a man and I want her honest opinion and I want her to say... Betty will no, tell What would you. she say? What would she say? No. Betty would be like, straight away she go, no, I've got a bad feeling. Like, literally just <laughs> met him for a cup of tea. Nah, get shot of him. <laughs> did she like Scott way what was her view of Scott though she loves Scott so actually our first date was an absolute disaster like everything that could have went wrong went wrong and oh, I was good. like let me look hang on let me just curl up by the fireside <laughs> with a cup of tea my favorite story <laughs> so like the place that we were going to eat wasn't open and then he made a joke about taking me to McDonald's which I didn't know was a joke I thought he was being serious um, which actually would have been a decent dip. I didn't really fancy sitting in a car park eating chicken selects on our first date. Um, mm. He told me I reminded him of Albert Einstein. Um, so I was like, nah, I think we're just best as friends. And yeah. it was my mum that went, no, I've got a really good feeling. I think you should give him another chance. So I'm pleased that she did because I listened for once. You see, your <laughs> mum is good at these things. Um, so tell me about Celebrity Karaoke Club. So the singing thing. Oh, honestly, in my head, I am Liza. Liza Minnelli. Liza with a Z. <laughs> That's who I am in my head. Like, I'm full on. I just go into a different character. But I did love it. Like, it was just so fun. And, like, everyone was proper up for a laugh. And I'm a huge Drag Race fan. And Courtney act on it. Oh, yeah. And I got to duet with her, and she's like drag royalty. So I had a little bit of like a wee come out when I got to duet with her. Oh, that's Even so Jason Donovan popped up at one point. I want you just to tell me 
what is it about having Bonnie? Because um, I wanted to ask, what what happened to does Scott still have his dog then, or is it just Bonnie that you've got? So we just have Bonnie because Toby is lives with Scott's mum and dad. So, but we go and visit him all the time. And we what don't... kind of dog is uh, Toby? He's a Jack Russell, so he's crazy. <laughs> he just runs around in circles, literally he's... just runs in circles. You're going to have nowhere. to apologise to Scott because I made the very lazy assumption that he'd obviously have a German Shepherd <laughs> because he's a policeman. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? He, he has actually had a German Shepherd. <laughs> As a kid, that's so funny. He has actually had a German Shepherd. Tell me why Chihuahuas and why Bonnie and what what does Bonnie mean to you, I guess? I mean, I am a dog mum. Like, I've even... That is on my bio on Instagram. Like, to me... Bonnie is my child and I do put a lot of like time and effort into her and she just makes me forget about bad stuff like that's the beauty of of having a pet is that they love you no matter what when you have morning breath when your hair's all over if you're hung over like they just love you no matter what as long as they're getting love back and I mean I even have a voice for Bonnie in my head like obviously she doesn't talk back but um, in my head, she does. And I just never feel alone. Like, that's the thing. You never feel lonely when when you've got a pet around. Like, I can be in the house on my own all day because Scott's at work and not hear from another soul on my phone. But I've got Bonnie, so I'm fine. You're just never on your own. What, what's your dog voice? I'm going to do mine, Scarlett, because I feel in a safe space with you because you're a dog mum and you understand. Yeah. So when I'm calling Raymond... Mm-hmm. I say, <laughs> I don't talk ever like this in the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I say, good boy, Ray Ray. You good boy. You good boy, Ray Ray. Yes, Ray Ray. <laughs> okay, over to you, Scarlet Moffat, with your Bonnie voice. Your Bonnie. Where's your Bonnie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you realise actually when you talk to other humans about it, I'll. I'll... <laughs> I do that. I go, the Bonnie. Where's the Bonnie? <laughs> Oh, no wonder she looks at me like, why are you talking like that? She must like it though, a tail wags when I do that voice. She's just trying to keep you happy, Scarlett. Yeah, she is, isn't she? Secretly, oh. she's going, oh, this woman and that stupid voice. She doesn't do that voice when she's talking to other people. Why is she talking to me like that? I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.